Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. God likes to make the impossible happen. He likes to use the weak to accomplish great things. He likes to tell people to do foolish things, and then when they listen and do as he has told them, miracles happen. Remember Noah's Ark? That boat must have looked pretty foolish to the rest of the world. But then it started raining. And what was foolish moments ago became the world's only salvation. The portion of God's word that we meditate on today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We read, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. And yet, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, Consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that just as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. These are the words. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of them. Amen. On Paul's second missionary journey, he spent a year and a half in Corinth, Greece. And there, through the preaching of the gospel, a congregation of believers was formed. This is who Paul was writing to in the words we just read. Now, this group wasn't a bunch of scholarly philosophers who came together every week to ponder the newest ideas. No, they did that over in Athens. Not many people in this group would have been considered wise by their fellow Corinthians. These weren't the most powerful citizens either. There weren't many politicians here or business owners in this group. It was made up of more ordinary people common blue-collar workers, some slaves even. 
And so it probably goes without saying that there weren't many highborn people in this congregation either. Not any royal bloodlines to be found here. You see, God had not sent Paul to Corinth to gather the wise or the powerful or the noble. God had sent Paul to call sinners to repentance and forgiveness. God had given Paul the sweet story of salvation to share. The story of how God's son became human to save sinners from being separated from the holy God forever. See, God didn't... God didn't make man fall into sin, but when that happened, he certainly took action. Immediately, he promised to send a Savior, one who would take our place and would feel the full punishment for the sins of the world fall on him. Jesus did just that in the dark hours on that Good Friday while he was hanging, crucified on that Roman cross. And after drinking down the cup of judgment that was rightfully yours and mine to drink, he gave up his spirit willingly and died for us. And that's when the miracle happened. Because of what he had done, the sins of the whole world were paid for. God's son took the hit, justice was served. And all sin was atoned for. And God the Father testified that this Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah that he had promised to send. By raising him from the dead, God the Father said, It is true, you are redeemed, your sins stand forgiven. That's why you didn't have to be wise or influential to be part of the congregation in Corinth. What you needed was sins. God had already provided the Savior. This leads us to our first takeaway from this reading. When you share the gospel message with others, don't make the gospel into what other people want to hear. Just tell it like it is. Jesus died to take away your sins. Tell it like it is and let the Holy Spirit bring people into God's family through that message. It wasn't very politically correct back then either for Paul to be preaching the gospel. The Jews were repulsed by this message. They thought, the Son of God died a criminal's death on a Roman cross? That's blasphemy. The Messiah is going to come and set up a glorious kingdom, and the Jews are going to be right here in the middle of it. He's not going to die at the hands of those filthy overlords. And the non-Jews, well, they thought the gospel message was ridiculous as well. Wait, who do you follow as your God? A guy who got himself nailed to a cross, and he hung there until he died? Why would you follow him? Oh, he, he was raised from the dead? Come on, that's not possible. But the gospel message is true. And the Holy Spirit worked through that message to reach many hearts from every walk of life in Corinth and in many other cities 
So today, we need to not think that we know better than the Holy Spirit. Let's not try to clean up the gospel so it sounds more like something people will accept today. Let's just do like Paul did and preach Christ crucified and everything that that message means. I mean, we can explain why it was necessary. We can explain what all of the the pieces mean and what it means for us, the whole package. But let's just preach Christ crucified and let God's power do the rest. Like God says in Isaiah 55, my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Now, the fact that these people weren't wiser or more powerful or of noble birth leads us to our second takeaway from this text. In verse 30, it says that it is from God that we are in Christ Jesus. So let's not delude ourselves into thinking that that we somehow did something to help Jesus save us. Paul makes it pretty clear that no one can boast in God's presence, certainly not when it comes to our salvation. We didn't choose him. He chose us. We didn't bring ourselves to faith. He brought us to faith. It is from God that we are in Christ Jesus. In fact, listen to Galatians 5.4. There, Paul says, You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. In this verse, Paul says that it's Jesus alone that saves you. If you try to add something to the equation, some keeping of the law, something that you do, then you're no longer trusting in Jesus alone for salvation and and you're severed from him. You're cut off from him. There's no, Jesus did most of this and now you just have to do this little part. That's not how the Bible talks about salvation. It's not a joint effort. You remember what John the Baptist said when he pointed to Jesus on the side of of the Jordan River? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say, look, it's Jesus who took away some of my sins. Look, it's Jesus who did part of the work to save me. Instead of arrogantly trying to claim some part of our salvation, we should do what Paul says to do. Boast in the Lord. That is, we should gladly proclaim He saved me, and he saved you too. He did it. Trust in him. And here's the beauty of it all. If our salvation doesn't depend on our wisdom or our nobility or our power or on something that we have done, if Christ did it all, then that means that salvation is open to all people not just to the wise, not just to the noble, not just to the rich, or whatever. Now, as sinners, as sinners, we don't like to be told that we're utterly sinful and there's nothing that we can do about it. 
That doesn't sound very nice to us. I mean, how am I supposed to have self-esteem if I'm a sinner who can't do anything to help myself, even one bit? I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have responded, or how he would have responded to the whole self-esteem movement. I wonder if he would have said something like, you've been saved from a pit that you never could have climbed out of by yourself. What are you complaining about? Who cares about your self-esteem? You've been given forgiveness for every sin and eternal life with God in heaven. Get over yourself. In fact, here in 1 Corinthians, Paul rather bluntly to his fellow Christian, or he speaks rather bluntly to his fellow Christians. Look at verse 26 again. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. That's some pretty blunt honesty. Paul calls the Corinthians to see their situation in the world, that they are people viewed as nothing in the world. But they were loved by God. But they were loved by God. And through these people and others like them, many sinners would come to trust in the Savior that God had sent. You see, for the most part, the gospel was not going to be proclaimed by the geniuses and the scholars of the world. For the most part, it wasn't going to be proclaimed by those piling up wealth or those sitting on thrones. No, God chose the lowly, the weak, the ones the world doesn't value all that much to proclaim the most important message ever spoken. Dear Christians, the world may think that we are insignificant. I mean, who would look at this room and the people in it and say of us that we are very important in the world? But the God of love has given us the message of salvation. So unsheathe that message and go to work saving souls. At the beginning of our sermon reading, Paul explained that God didn't arrange it so that people would come to know him through the wisdom of the world. It's not how it works. You can't know God through science. I mean, you can know he exists. I mean, his fingerprints are on the creation all over the place. But you can't really know who he is, his character, his heart. You can't know the Savior that he sent through worldly wisdom. It's only through the story of what Jesus did that we come to know God by faith. And in the last verse of our sermon reading, Paul unfolds a bit what it means to be connected to God through Jesus. Listen again to verse 30. 
It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ Jesus is wisdom from God. It's not your college education or your years of experience or your IQ or the awards you've won or how good a problem solver that you are. Now, only through Christ are you connected to the Father. Christ is also your righteousness. It isn't how you live or your personal mission in life or what others admire in you. It's not your talents and your abilities that will make you able to stand before God on the last day. Only Christ covers us with a purity that will pass the test on that day. Christ Jesus is your sanctification. It's not your politics or your good looks or your athleticism or your cleverness that distinguish you from everybody else in the world. Only Christ sets you apart as holy because you are in him. Only Christ and his spirit can continue to remodel you from the inside out to be the person that God intended you to be in the beginning. Christ is also your redemption. Doing better tomorrow isn't going to save you. Working at some charity or a local shelter or getting out of debt or staying sober or avoiding temptation, none of those things are going to redeem you for your past sins or your future ones. Only Christ has bought you back for God. We could not have known God through the wisdom of this world. But God was pleased to save us through what the world calls foolishness. Same thing happened to Noah and his family. Because God likes to make the impossible happen. He likes to use the weak to accomplish great things. He is pleased to save through the foolishness of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to preach Christ crucified. Work through that message and bring people into your family. Help us all to grow in our understanding so that we know how much we have been given in Jesus. Amen.